Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another lovely Sunday. And with me today is the one and only Bria Woods. Hello. <laughs> Bria, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I don't know you that well. We haven't gotten to hang out outside of this, really. I met yeah. you at an art show slash concert at Charity Bar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think my buddy Brandon was playing or somebody that I knew was playing. Yeah. And you're a photographer. Yes. And a journalist? Yes. So my full-time job is a photojournalist with the San Antonio Report. Oh, and then awesome. outside of that, I also do my own freelance photography. Nice. Okay. And so how long have you been pursuing that? I started when I was in high school. Um, like many photographers, I started with yearbook class. Oh, yeah. And I really fell in love with it. Our yearbook teacher was so into it. She was very detailed. Um, not only teaching us the principles of photography and just like visual communication, but even font mm. and, you know, appreciating different fonts, uh, graphic design and people who were actually on the yearbook staff. We actually got to learn and design, make spreads, make layouts. Oh, and cool. we played a huge role in the actual production of our yearbooks for every year, which at my high school was like a really big deal. Whenever we walked into different classrooms or events with our camera, everyone suddenly wanted to be our friend. Mm -hmm. um, so it was my first taste of the power of the camera and learning how to tell a story. Yeah. You know? And that, so there's a lot of stuff we can cover because I feel like you've gotten involved with various projects. Mm -hmm. One project in particular is the Her Story. Her story. Yes. And that's, can you explain what that is? Yes. Yeah, so the Her Story Project, it's a portrait and audio storytelling project. And so basically I am photographing and interviewing women who I feel like are shaping San Antonio in a positive way. Hmm. Um, and after I take their portrait, then I ask each group of, so I do it in groups. So okay. I think the first uh, chapter, as I call it, yeah. was about joy. The second chapter was about legacy. And so each woman and each of the women in those two chapters, I, I asked each of them the same question. Hmm. So for the joy chapter, I asked each of them, what brings you joy? And I curated a group of black women because I launched this in during February of 2021. So during Black History Month, and yeah. I asked each of them, what brings you joy? And I, I chose women who had p been particularly vocal during the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. Okay. Because obviously, like every city in America, that became such a huge part of our national discourse. Totally. And I wanted to, you know, Black History Month felt very different last year. Mm. Um, and I was like, that's okay. Different in like a, a better way or a negative just, way? What do you mean? It just felt like we were more conscious. Mm. Like of, as a whole? Right. You mean as a whole country? Right. Yeah. We were more conscious of black stories, black mm. narratives, black pain. Yeah. Um, just black existence. And so I wanted to really hone in on black joy, something that I feel like had been lost in that discourse. Yeah, kind of glossed over. Right. Yeah. Because black women have, are, we are angry and we have a lot to be angry about. Right. But I also wanted to remind San Antonio that these same women who you saw leading marches last year or ripping into people on Twitter also experience joy mm. and very simple things just like you. Yeah. You know, and so it's not every day, fists in the air, boots on the ground. Some days it is just joy and enjoying the simple things in life. Yeah, I think that's so valuable because 
like the small mindedness of folks that were not involved in any protests or were not, were kind of seeing it as this like, uh, problem, you know, mm -hmm. where people were like looting was happening and right. things like that, where they sort of just wrote it off mm -hmm. and kind of just lumped everybody together as like, Oh, all the blacks are angry. Right. You know? And I feel like that's so awful. You know, yeah. they're obviously missing the point entirely. And so I love that idea of focusing on joy to remind, because I think it's just, it's like a continued robbing them mm -hmm. of their humanhood, right. you know, to just like leave them with one emotion, right? you know, well, being any race, but right. just this particular, yeah. Being overly reductive is dangerous in general. Right. And I think with anything that I do, one of my biggest goals is to show something that's well-rounded, show something mm. that is 3D and that it's not flat or one-sided. Yeah. And... Has like a wholeness and depth to it. Exactly. Mm. So yes, I am angry as a black woman, but I also experience joy. Totally. You know, I have frustrations and grievances, but I also have privilege. Totally. You know? Yeah. And I think that was another key thing that I had to reckon with as well is like, Yes, um, as black people, there are a lot of gaps that we need to bridge and we have a lot of ground to cover to make things more equitable. But it's not that I don't have any sort of privilege that mm. I can leverage um, to move forward in this life. Um, but yeah, so that was chapter one. And then chapter two is focused on legacy. So I asked each of those women to answer two questions. The first was, if you could sit down with your great grandmother... What would you want her to know about your life today and how that compares to hers? Oh, wow. And if you could sit down with your great-granddaughter, what do you want your legacy to be in her eyes? Hmm. And um, for That's both great. of those, we had events. for In February of last year, we did it virtually. And then in August of last year, for the legacy chapter, we had an in-person event where we actually had some of the women take the stage with their mom. Oh, cool. And talk about legacy and tradition in their family. Mm. And um, it was such a beautiful night with our community. Yeah. And I just want people to start thinking about your personal narrative and your personal history has value. You don't yeah. have to be, you know, a highfalutin CEO. Right. To think that your story is important. You know? Yeah. I've been reading a book by Donald Miller called hero on a mission mm -hmm. and it's all about like the four character types of a story mm -hmm. being victim villain hero and guide mm -hmm. and it's super eye-opening just in this idea of viewing your life as a narrative and a story mm -hmm. and realizing that we each play every character at different points or like we put out the energy of those characters and then learning that we're all the hero of our own story, yeah. but a hero has to go through a transformation, right. you know, and mm -hmm. come from a position of a victim really in a way, but then realize that they don't have to stay there, right. you know? Mm -hmm. So I love that. That's yeah. such a cool idea. And you came up with that and like planned it all and put it all together? Yes. So January 7th was when I first hatched the idea. I was sitting in my bedroom nice. in my big pink chair. <laughs> <laughs> And I was talking with a, another artist friend of mine. I was thinking, I want to do something for Black History Month, but I don't know. And after, like in that conversation, pretty much what I came up with is what pe people see today. Mm -hmm. And by February 5th, it was hanging 
in a gallery setting for people to see. So in less than a month, I went from idea to exhibition. And it really is a passion project. Yeah. I'm not getting paid to do this. Um, Everything has come out of pocket so far. I have applied for grants because I would like to continue it. Yeah. And there are things that I want to do beyond what I can support financially myself. For sure. Um, But yeah, I just, I'm very... I think my motivation for this is I think about when I was a little girl, mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of women figures to look up to, mm. you know, growing up in the nineties, there wasn't a lot of, uh, we didn't have the kind of discourse then that we have now about right. uplifting women and especially women of color. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know it was possible for a woman to be a photojournalist yeah. or to be, um, doing science or research and analytics or cybersecurity or whatever, you know, I just didn't know that people who look like me could do these things. And I want to create a resource for other young girls and really just young children to be able to say, oh, wow, the possibilities are endless. My womanhood is not a limitation. Instead, Mm. it's a passport. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Right. Just like I think that's almost just with any identity, really, or like the identities that we don't choose Mm -hmm. that we're just born with Mm -hmm. to realize this doesn't have to be a limitation, you know, like we don't have to get bogged down by this idea of Mm -hmm. because I'm this way, I can't do this, you know, because that's such a, it's so sad that that is so common, you know, that people begin to believe that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So did you grow up in San Antonio? No. No. Where are you from? I'm a, I was born and raised in D.C. Oh, wow. So that's my home. Nice. And um, D.C. slash like Crystal City, Alexandria um, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And my mom worked in the annex to the Pentagon for almost 30 years. Whoa. Um, so, and it's so funny because I used to just be walking around that building. Yeah. Not realizing that <laughs> this is like one of the highest levels of the federal government. Right. And there I was, just had toys in her office and everything else. <laughs> oh, that's um, wild. Yeah, like would go into the office of other like really high-ranking federal yeah. officials just talking all kinds of, I don't know, what kind of nonsense five- and six-year-olds talk about, but, <laughs> right. you know. And um, so that's what my mom did, and my, my dad is a lawyer, and he also teaches law. Oh, wow. So um, Growing up in D.C. was amazing. I, and I think that's also what stimulated my interest in storytelling hmm. because the weekends were filled with going to the Smithsonian Museums and yeah. meeting famous people, seeing um, the White House always closed off for people filming movies or TV shows. Yeah. And there were just all kinds of stories always around me. And my parents really instilled in me an interest from an early age in knowing and understanding my history. Mm. And um, we would go and watch, you know, live jazz performances. We'd go down to the wharf and so look cool. out over the Potomac River and, you know. I love the amount of history in D.C. and just that part of the country, you mm-hmm. know, like, because... America is such a young country in right. reality compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Yeah. And it's fun to see even just the difference between like the East and West Coast, mm-hmm. how there's this, I don't know, an, a more old fashioned feel on the East side. Yeah. And then it just gets more and more modern. It seems the further West you go. Yeah. But 
there's still history in the West, of course, but it's just yeah. a different, it just doesn't feel as like attached to the country, right. you know? So man, that's cool. Yeah. So how old were you when you left DC? I was 11 going on 12. Okay. So in Virginia, sixth grade is still part of elementary school. Mm. So I kind of came halfway into middle school when I moved to Texas. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And how was that move for you as a preteen? Mm. Did you have sib- do you have siblings? I do. I have one older brother, but we're 15 years apart. Oh, wow. Okay. So he was already yeah, living long, life. Yeah, doing his thing by the time we moved to Texas. And he um, has built his life in Louisiana. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, you know, moving to Texas, it was a very hard chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents got divorced. Uh. And, you know, so my dad stayed in D.C. and then I moved with my mom to Texas. My mom is from San Antonio. Okay. So all of her sisters and brothers live here. Um, and it's been such a treat to be able to grow up with my aunts and uncles here. Yeah. And my mom's side of the family. And so I, I love that. Uh, but when we first moved, it was very challenging. And um, I think that was kind of like the first big event in my life that mm-hmm. really shaped who I am. Hmm. Yeah. It's so, I, I think it's really good for people to move just yes. to be able, because it's such a culture shock mm-hmm. so often, you know, and it really helps you kind of broaden your perspective, I feel. Yeah. Uh, I was like seven or eight years old when we moved from Colorado to Iowa mm-hmm. and we were living in a crazy small town, like population 500 and like nearest stoplight what? and Walmart and McDonald's were like an hour away. What? And so it's just like this tiny little mountain ranch community. And then we moved to not a big town, but it felt big to me. Mm-hmm. It was probably like 10,000 or 11. And that's where Oskaloosa is, where this is broadcast. Oh, okay. It's like 10 to 13,000, I think. But it felt just like a huge increase of culture, mm-hmm. even though I mean, right. it wasn't <laughs> crazy different, but it was just wild to have like fast food restaurants in right. town and things like that. But it, I think that the age I was at is maybe the ideal age to move Yeah, because I was young enough that I was kind of sad because I was going to miss the mountains and what I was used to. But the excitement of, especially once I started meeting other kids my age and stuff, it got me really excited because there was just so many friends to make, you know? Right. And it felt like there was not... There just wasn't very many people in right. Walden in Colorado where we yeah. were. So, but I just remember that feeling and how my family also just traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. And so they really prioritized kind of educating us kids mm-hmm. by showing us the world, you yeah. know. And I'm so grateful for that because yes. I feel like it just, I really believe travel is the best form of education. It is. Yeah. I remember reading... And, you know, we can fact check this, <laughs> but I want to say the stat was most people end up either not moving or returning to, I want to say it's like five miles from their childhood home. Oh, Something wow. really shocking like that. Basically, yeah. it's like a, it's a certain mile radius from like where they grew up. Mm-hmm. And obviously I'm like halfway across the country yeah. from where I grew up. And I've also lived outside of the U.S. And oh, cool. I really wish, I agree with you. Like, I wish that for everyone. Yeah. It is hard. There's emotions um, because, yeah, we do get attached sometimes to a place or 
a certain geography mm-hmm. or uh, the people who we befriend um, or family that we have in a certain area. But I think once you realize that, yes, the world is big, but it's also small. Yeah. Then it becomes a little bit easier to move around. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends in England are still going to be in England. You know, like England's not going anywhere. Right. You know, and even though we are transient, we can still find each other. Yeah. But having those experiences in another place, being being allowing yourself to be shaped by another culture, mm-hmm. another language, another way of life is really special. Yeah. And it does teach you something that it's not the same just reading about totally a yeah. place, <laughs> you know, being able to really experience it and like taste it and hear it and smell it. It's mm-hmm. it's another plane, yeah. you know, of existence. And I've found that the more I move, if I do it open-heartedly, mm-hmm. you know, and with excitement, it just ends up creating multiple homes. Yes. You know, like I have various places I now feel at home in mm-hmm. because I've been able to move around so much. Mm-hmm. And so I just, yeah, I want everybody to do that because I love it. But also I feel like it's helped me so much just in being more open-minded and open-hearted and realizing that like, yeah, we are so different. Everybody mm-hmm. is so different and s- similar at the same, you know, like we've got such a uniqueness to all of us, but there's still relatability, you know, no matter where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so great. Um, are you working on any new projects right now? We should mention you have a radio show. Yes. Here in San Antonio. <laughs> yes. So, so this is not your first time on the air. Correct. Yeah. I have been a host with KRTU 91.7 FM here in San Antonio since 2014. Wow. So KRTU is a jazz station by day and an indie overnight, or we call it indie overnight, or an indie music station in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I started when I was a sophomore at Trinity. The station is housed on Trinity's campus. Yeah. So in 2014, I've always been on the jazz side. I love jazz. That was the first music genre Mm -hmm. I was exposed to as a child. My dad would play it in the car. The station in D.C. was 105.9, smooth jazz, (laughs) 105.9. Nice. Um, So we would listen to that every morning when he took me to school. We'd go to jazz festivals in D.C. And I've always loved jazz. Yeah. Um, and so when I moved to San Antonio and then eventually when I got accepted to Trinity and I saw that they had a jazz radio station. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was just leaping for joy. I remember signing up for the radio class um, and learning how to actually go live on the air. I was so terrified <laughs> because I remember having this realization that, you know, when I opened that mic, Whoever is tuning in yeah. right now is going to hear, hear whatever it. I say. <laughs> so I was just like, focus on speaking English, use complete sentences, <laughs> and you'll be good. It gets um, easier. Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, I it's truly my happy place. I love hmm. talking about the music. Um, yeah. I love talking about musicians. I love listening to the music. Um, and so I do that every Thursday uh, I do the women in jazz show every Thursday at eight. Awesome. And yeah. how long does it last? Is it like eight to nine or? Yeah, one months? hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Eight to nine. That's so fun. So are you still in school at Trinity or done? No. no. <laughs> that would be, if 2014 was sophomore year, right. no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been I, a long time. I celebrated my five-year reunion last October. Oh, cool. So yeah, I graduated in 2016 and then I went to uh, England to do my master's. Oh, wow. 20, from 2016 to 2017. 
What did you? What was your master's in? Uh, multimedia broadcast journalism. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I, you're a news lady. Yeah. <laughs> My first job in news was actually at a broadcast station in Victoria, Texas. Okay. Um, and I thought I was going to continue in the broadcast realm. realm. Um, but I'd always done photojournalism freelance hmm. and on the side. And this full-time position became available last year. Nice. I literally applied within an hour. Like the my boss, my current boss, he texted me the application and then less than an hour, I had submitted <laughs> oh, that's cool. my job application. I was like, I, this would be my dream job, and it really is. Oh, that's I so great. It. Yeah. And how long ago did you start that? March of last year. So oh, it's awesome. almost a almost year. Almost a year. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so you basically report on various things going on mm-hmm. in San Antonio. Yeah. The whole city is my beat. <laughs> I don't have awesome. any particular niche. Whatever the reporters are working on. Um, either my boss or my colleague Nick or I will go out and get the art, as we call it, or the photos. Right. Just you know, we're always thinking how would we illustrate what this topic? Trying, yeah, yeah. Um, it could be city expansion. Um, you know, we've been continuing to ki- uh, report on the fallout from winter storm Yuri last oh, yeah. year. Uh, but obviously it hasn't snowed since then. So, like, how do you illustrate yeah. issues with, you know, CPS or saws or yeah. or or the power grid, you know? Um, and yeah. I love that. It's a challenge, but it's also incredibly rewarding. You know, mm-hmm. we get to meet in some really special people in our city yeah. and help to facilitate the telling of their story. That's so cool. Yeah. Man, I don't know if I've ever met a journalist. So that's exciting to oh, know no you. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, no, I have, I think, in small-town Iowa, I suppose. But yeah. I've never met, like, a city journalist, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's an important job. And it's good to know that someone like you is doing it because it does feel very, like, we're living in such a unique age mm-hmm. where there's so many narratives that are trying to be pushed through the media outlets mm-hmm. that are, like very one-sided you know or just very biased Mm -hmm. or obviously biased and i think people are really tired of trying to like it feels like we're being uh brainwashed or there's just like a lot of propaganda in different ways you know yeah and how do you feel that you can combat that as a working journalist (laughs) this is the million dollar question yeah (laughs) because i what i Actually, my biggest message to anyone listening is, like, please understand the difference between local news and national news. Mm. I am not Fox. I am not CNN. I am not MSNBC. I do not know them. I do not associate with them. I am not them. Totally. Period. (laughs) Nor is my organization a representative. We do not speak for them. We have nothing to do with national news outlets or how they operate whatsoever. I'm not. We are not the New York Times. We are not the Washington Post. That is a completely different tier yeah. of journalism. Similar functionality. You have your editors, you have your reporters, <clears throat> you have your photojournalists, etc. But the way... Just totally different. Right. Dynamic, the way they yeah. source their, their stories, the way they curate their messages is completely different from local news yeah. and newsrooms. And that is something that I really want people... Like, sometimes I wish I could just, like, grab people by the collar and be like, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Russia is not in our newsroom. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to get that through your head. <laughs> I have not, like, 
you know, even when I was working at that broadcast station in Victoria, people would say, like, oh, they're just getting paid by the Russians. Like, I wish I was. <laughs> Maybe we'd be making more money. We are not as wealthy as you think we are. Yeah. In fact, a lot of um, journalists who are starting in their first few markets are just skirting the poverty level, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not making a lot. Um, and, you know, even some of the, you know, bigger cities like Dallas or Houston, well, the faces you see, the anchors, yeah, they, I mean, but they've probably been in the industry longer than I've been alive. Right. You know what I mean? Like, to get into the top five or even top ten, even to get into the top 50 markets, you've been in the industry for a while. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's not what you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I would say how to combat this is people need to understand that certain truths may not make you feel comfortable, hmm. but it doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. I'm not here to demonize anyone. Yeah. I'm not here to um, make things 100% black and white. I think we need to learn how to live in gray areas sometimes. Totally. We need to learn how to be nuanced. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's hard to be nuanced on Twitter in such few <laughs> characters. Yeah. But it, and not everything has to be sexy. I, I'm really, I think we are kind of getting out of this era of news where headlines have to be really shiny and attractive. Like, not all news is interesting. Yeah. But it is important. Definitely. And that's such such an interesting thing to think about with technology and just like the way that modern media is kind of having to fight against, well, podcasts and just various other outlets for news, but they seem to be resorting so often to like clickbait, you know, or whatever's going to get, mm -hmm. catch people's attention, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, I admire you for being in the work you're in because I think it's yeah. just, especially this day and age too, it's like, it's just hard to. Thank you. But I think the tide is turning. I oh, can good. see yeah. that as, you know, as millennials and especially Gen Z, we would rather read, follow and support someone or something authentic than something flashy yeah. and eye catching and clickbaity. Definitely. I feel like we are also collectively fed up of the yeah. clickbait. In fact, clickbait doesn't makes me not even want to open it. Yeah. I'd rather someone just like take me seriously mm. enough to know that I know how to curate information. Yeah. I don't need you to highlight it and put flashing lights around it and and use um, inflammatory language to try to incentivize me to click on it. Yeah. You know, and I feel like um, I'm really impressed with Gen Z. I spent a lot of time on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really impressed with them because, like, truly, they just want authentic engagement. Mm. They want real people. Yeah. I think that's something, too, where as we see so many of the negatives of, like, the social media era that mm -hmm. we're living in. But as... Because it's never been easier to fake it in a way, you know, or pre create this persona online That's that is so, so different than reality. Mm -hmm. And it's creating a deeper craving, I think, in everyone for authenticity. Mm -hmm. And just like people just want the truth, you know, they exactly. just want to be told straight up what is true. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but I think it's really important. What's up? Can can I move this down? Oh, totally, yeah. I didn't want to just start yeah, no, you're good. touching it, but I feel yeah. like... sometimes And that cord, sometimes if you pull it 
Uh, it's hooked on there, the little knob. Do you, if you follow it back. This one? Other way. This one. Yeah. Oh, see I that? see. So it kind of stretches it, and that can... So if you bend it back real quick, yeah. There, there we go. go. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes I'm it'll short. start falling on you, but... Yeah. There's a sweet spot. Okay, there we go. Good. That's better. Thank Perfect. you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I felt like I was like, <laughs> couldn't see you very well. <laughs> no, yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, awesome. So I haven't gotten a TikTok yet. I don't know if I'm going to. I, I don't think I'm going to. I love it. That's the thing. I hear everybody talk about, but then I hear everybody who says they love it say they find themselves just scrolling through and then looking at the clock and it's been two hours or something. I think it's... That's just a human thing with any social media, you know, but, and you should just learn to set boundaries for yourself. Right. But it can be hard. Even me, like, I just feel already kind of overwhelmed with the options I have of just Instagram and Twitter. Right. You know, where I'm like, all right, I already am spending too much time on these. I don't want to do this. I think you know? what really, what keeps me on TikTok is like, I'm truly fascinated by the content. It is unlike any other social media platform. Yeah. I feel like TikTok, Twitter, and LinkedIn are like my top trifecta right now. That's funny. And I feel like Facebook and Instagram are quickly biting the dust. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about TikTok. It is so... It's this whole other dimension of the internet where you can find, I guarantee you, if you're, there's even this woman I follow who just does folding videos, like folding aesthetic videos. <laughs> it is so neat. Whatever niche, I guarantee yeah. you, just try TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> try it. I guarantee you there's no niche undiscovered on there. There's ASMR. There's. I have uh, a friend that's a quadriplegic that's mm -hmm. on it. And he makes yeah. quadriplegic TikToks all the time. I'm telling you. I even saw this one girl. She has um, narcolepsy. And Whoa. she just, like, records herself, you know, passing out, which uh -huh. sounds weird. But, like, she uses it as a way to educate people. Right. Kind of and raise I, awareness and Right. Stuff. You know? And it's, like, everything is on there. It is so interesting. And I feel like it's a platform that rewards people for being authentic. Hmm. So it, and whereas Instagram rewards people for being aesthetic and very, very consistent. Yeah. TikTok rewards people for just, yeah, have your hair be messy when you first wake up. But if what you're saying is real, people will latch onto that. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard in China that they have like a pretty strict um, barrier set on TikTok where a lot of it. For kids and stuff in particular, like an age limit or something, mm. where they can... And I don't know how true this is. It's just something I've heard. Mm -hmm. But where they limit what the kids can see, and a lot of it ends up being, you know, like love of country type stuff and r teaching them in that way where it's more educational and more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, life-giving, mm -hmm. I guess, if I can say that word. But then here in America, there's like no limits at all on it. Right. And I think with with TikTok, I'm sure it's like any tool where you could find the things that are going to be helpful and beneficial yeah. and actually like, you know, bring knowledge to your life. Mm -hmm. But in the same way, there's got to be so much trash as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And I just feel that like for me, 
I don't want to spend the time sifting through another one, you know? Well, I think, and, you know, for better or for worse, TikTok is another algorithm-based app. Right. So it quickly learns what you will go for. So, for example, it knows that I'm not a, it knows that I did not vote for Trump. So I never see, the only time I see these far right-wing TikTokers is when people are dragging them on Twitter. But it never shows up on my For You page or your Explore page on TikTok. Gotcha. Or it knows that I don't... um, Feed you what what you want. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or it it knows that I I love cats. (laughs) It knows that I love to cook. Yeah. So sometimes I'll see recipe videos or just like random cat videos. Um, But it also knows that I love cerebral discourse. So I follow quite a few people now who love just doing like these think pieces on TikTok. Wow. Yeah. Have you used the Clubhouse app? Yes. Yeah. I haven't used it much. I mean, I got it, but I didn't, it was hard for me to get into. I didn't dedicate the time to it. When I first got onto it, it was still in beta. Yeah. And it was an invite only situation. So I was invited by someone and it was really cool until beta was over, and then it was just, like, moaning rooms and mm. a bunch of dudes talking about why women deserve less. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, like, it just—and then a couple of celebrities had gotten on it, and the app crashed a few times, and it was just— Yeah, it just It very quickly apart. became, like, a hot mess, and I've literally not opened it s- since 2020. <laughs> yeah. The Lion King production, though, was cool. That was—I feel like oh. that's when t- uh, Clubhouse peaked. Okay. When they did that live performance, they did two. They did a matinee uh-huh. <laughs> and an evening voice acting performance of The Lion King with music and everything. Oh, wow. It was phenomenal. That's cool. Absolutely. It made national news. Just an auditory yeah. Lion King. Yeah. Wow. And was it with all the actors that were in the live action one? Yeah. You know, I loved Lion King, the, mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah. It came out the year I was born. And... I liked the live action, but I didn't like, what's his name? Billy Eichner as the voice of Timon. Mm. I, just because I was so partial to Nathan Lane <laughs> in the original. Yeah. You know? It's hard when you get used to a certain voice. That's really voice. my only discrepancy with right. the new one is I just missed Nathan Lane. Right. Because his voice is so unique and I yeah. just, I think he's hilarious. But. Yeah. But overall, I, it was a good movie. And it's still a, an amazing story. I love the Lion King story. Have you seen Lion King one and a half? I think a very, very long time ago it, I did. The way, to this day, has me in stitches. It is hilarious. <laughs> it's mostly so about Timon funny. and Pumbaa, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I should re- rewatch it. It's been, like, since before I was 10, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So, can I ask how old you are? I'm 27. Nice. Me too. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you go to church. Yes. Do you go to church every Sunday here in San Antonio? Like, do you have a home church here? Yes. So my mom's brother, my uncle, he's been a pastor for, it feels like all my life, but I don't know if, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it has been all my life. Um, so, but when we were living in Virginia, we would go to other churches, but once we moved to Texas, we followed his ministry. Okay. So he's been to, he's been at three different churches since we moved here in 2006. And, um, now he is the lead pastor at Zion Star Missionary Baptist Church on the east side. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've driven by there, I think. Yeah. On Virginia Boulevard. 
I think so. Maybe. It's really small. I, it's a historic black church. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so he's been there since I was in high school, or maybe maybe more Trinity. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yes, and no. So mm-hmm. when I lived here, yes, I would go to church every Sunday. Um, then when I moved to England, I found a church there. Actually, I went around to a few different churches. And that was an interesting experience as well. Like, I had never done, like, worship and the church experience in another country before. Mm, And there were a lot of similarities, but obviously some differences. So, for example, one of the churches that I went to, they didn't have their own building yet. And so they were using the elementary school, which is across the street from a pub. And so after church, we'd go over to that pub. And I was like... Ah, <laughs> I'm going to a pub with the pastor, <laughs> you know. So um, that was pretty different. And then when I would travel in in Europe, you know, we would go to churches. But you know, in Spain, they were more cathedrals. I mm. didn't find any Baptist churches in Spain, you yeah. know. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and so obviously, none of those felt like totally like home. You yeah. know, I did grow up. Baptist and primarily in in black churches. Um, However, when I was at Trinity, I was part of InterVarsity. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time that I experienced like non-denominational like worship and like Bible teachings. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and that was really transformational for me. Oh, cool. And also like socializing yeah. With the Bible. Like, I'd never done that before. It was always just, like, my mom and me and the Bible. But now, mm. that was my first time that I got to explore Christ with people my own age. Oh, wow. In the context of something we're all going through, which is the challenge of college. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, I even went to Urbana. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've heard of it, I think. I mean, I've heard that name, but yeah. I don't know what it is. It's a national conference that happens every three years in, do you know what? I Maybe the city changes each year. I can't remember. Maybe it is always in, Miss, in Missouri. Were we in Missouri or? Was it Kansas City? I, I think, it, yeah. That's where I was when okay. I went in, yeah. uh, in co- during college. And so basically we're in this massive stadium mm-hmm. and it's just like praise and worship, lectures. It's like, it basically we take over the whole downtown area. Yeah. We're using different, um, ballrooms and different hotels for lectures. Oh, wow. You know, really esteemed religious leaders and theologians from all over the world will travel for this wow. and give classes, lectures, lead praise and worship. Um, it's a really unique experience. That was very transformational for me. And um, to this day, I consider myself non-denominational yeah. with, you know, a Baptist background. But I truly believe that it doesn't matter how many candles I light, how many hymns I pr- sing. It, totally. It's just, I, I just have a direct relationship with God. I don't think it matters what yeah. I'm doing. I think that's something that is happening in the American church that's really important, yeah. is this kind of escape from denominationalism, mm-hmm. you know? Because it breaks my heart how divided one particular religion can be. You know, where yeah. there are so many variations yes. of the same truth. Like right. They've, they've made so many differentiations between 
just like petty things, it mm-hmm. feels like, mm-hmm. you know? And in reality, it's all preaching that God loves us. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so much that they'd rather die than be without us. Right. And so that alone, I think, is so, it's so exciting to me to hear you say, like, non-denominational with a Baptist background, mm-hmm. where there's still so much value in traditions mm-hmm. and, you know, even like in the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and the Orthodox Church, these very traditional and liturgical mm-hmm. things that they do every week the same, mm-hmm. you know. But the, it's not like they're canceling out the people that go to the Baptist or the right. Pentecostal or, right. you know, there's just... It just annoys me how yes. many there are <laughs> when we're all in the same family of heaven. You know, right. it's like we. I just wish people didn't focus on disagreement as much as they did. Right. Like I wish there was just more effort to understand where we align and agree, mm-hmm. rather than the s- specific petty differences. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or like preferences of what kind of worship you have. Right. You know. Yeah. But. It's cool. I love to church hop. Mm-hmm. I haven't like established a church home here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I might someday, but I'd love I just love like going to different churches mm-hmm. and meeting people and experiencing the different flavors if you will, right. you know, of yeah. whatever denomination or just side of town, right. you know? Like I think it's such a cool experiment. Yeah. And, yeah. But I'll go it's, to your church sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah, let me know. Heck yeah. Yeah. What time is your guys' service? Do you have one or 11 two? 11 a.m. Nice. Yeah. And then Sunday school is at 10 a.m. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, the, the church I went to, to in London, they had a morning one, but they also had one at 6 p.m. Hmm. And I was like... I oh. like you. I The church I went to in Florida had a Saturday night service. Ooh. And that is my jam. Yes. Because... You, go, you can go to church, and then you can just stay up late. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't have to worry about getting up. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because I've, yeah, I've overslept far too many Sundays. Yeah. And I'm just not a morning person. Or, like, I'm not a more like, yeah, no, I'm not a morning person, period. <laughs> but especially when you have to, like, get up, get dressed. Yeah. Get in your car, get somewhere. Um. So I really appreciated them for that <laughs> evening service. I was like, y'all are speaking my language. <laughs> How long were you in London? Um, a little, two and a half years. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. And you've been featured in BBC, right? Yes. Yeah. I saw that. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And was that, that was pretty recent? Or? Yes, that was in 2020. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was for, I entered a photo competition with Equal Lens, which mm. is um, a photo collective based in the UK they champion the work of women and non-binary photographers. Okay. And so they put out different briefs throughout the year. And at that time, I submitted for the brief six meters of separation. Yeah. Or no. Was two it meters six or of, two? Two yeah. meters of separation, which is six feet. Right. And the whole idea was to submit images that uh, commented on or illustrated the pandemic, hmm. since it was still very new to us that year. Yeah. And I remember one day... I was on the phone with someone actually, and I just kept getting all these Instagram notifications. And I was like, I haven't posted anything today. Like, what's going on? And then I saw that I was selected as a finalist. That's so cool. Um, And there were seven finalists in total. And they published our work on the Equal Lens Instagram page, but they also um, 
all of our images were published in a BBC article. Wow. Which was like... Yeah, that's so exciting. So cool. <laughs> like, that was a huge moment for me. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because that year, <clears throat> I wanted to go and visit in London. I mm. planned to take another trip to visit in 2020, but obviously the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I said, well... I guess technically I still found a way yeah. <laughs> to visit the UK this year. <laughs> That's so cool. So, yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, we've been talking for about 45 minutes. Okay. We might take a little break. Yes. And we'll come back next hour if that works. Perfect. Uh, have you seen the movie Whiplash? No. Oh, you should watch it if you like jazz. I do. Yeah. yeah. I recently rewatched it and there, the final song is a song called Caravan. And it's just this crazy jazz track. And so I'm going to play that for the listeners today. So, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Friends, I feel it necessary to mention, if you want to hear the music that I set us up for, like Caravan, the Buddy Rich drum jazz classic, uh, you got to tune in every Sunday from 3 to 5 at Radio KMZN. But this is the podcast, and you're only going to hear music composed by me if you listen to the podcast. You won't hear music from jazz legends like Buddy Rich or Ella Fitzgerald. So, just letting you know. All right, enjoy more conversation with Bria Woods. Welcome back, beloved listener. Here we are. It's the second hour now on Oops, I Missed Church. And still with me, Bria Woods. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> the woman of jazz yes. at KRTU. Yes. Heck yeah. Do you have a favorite female jazz musician? Oh. It's probably hard to choose one. That is hard. However... Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna give you one from like yesteryear and one like kind of newer voice in the scene. Oh, cool. Um, so I really love Nina Simone. Yeah. I just, How can you not? Her voice, her musicality. Also mm-hmm. Betty Carter. Mm. Okay, I lied. I'm lying now to you. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> There's give a lot. <laughs> okay, Nina Simone and Betty Carter for sure. Okay. And um, another jazz musician that I love, who's more recent, um, Jasmia Horn. Hmm. Um, one of actually she isn't she was inspired a lot by Betty Carter you can see a lot of Betty Carter's influence in her music and her vocalizations have you heard that girl uh, I'm trying to think of what her name I feel like it's Laura or Law she's from Iceland I think and I first saw her on Instagram she just does like acoustic covers of Mm -hmm. a lot of old like jazz era music you know and she's got just a beautiful voice i haven't heard of her yeah i need to find her and i'll send it to you but she does really really good um that's cool though yeah i i learned i like loved music growing up Mm -hmm. and i first started like learning music with piano and so i did the standard regular Mm -hmm. lessons and whatnot but my greatest piano teacher I ever had was also a percussionist, and his name was Brent, and he was this old guy from Montana, but he was like a professional percussionist primarily, but also taught piano, 
and he showed me how to do like improv jazz on the Ooh. piano and that totally changed my entire relationship to music it felt like so you know cool. where it just it like really helped me learn to play more feeling it and mm-hmm. you know hearing it not so much by the book right and cuz i would always he would show me like a scale and two chords that i could do and then just mess around yeah. in that and my the way that i fingered was always like off from what the standard was Mm -hmm. but he was the only piano teacher i ever had that didn't like criticize me for Mm -hmm. it because he was like it still sounds good you know you can still do you can play however you want and so that was just so freeing and it gave me such a deeper appreciation for jazz specifically yeah just because of all the there's so much feel to it you know and right that's so special first of all that you had that experience yeah it was Um, wild but yeah i think jazz well you know and it makes sense, right? Jazz is a descendant of, you know, Negro spirituals, hmm. yeah. which were all about feeling. There was no book to read. Right. They, there was no reading to be done, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was all about feeling. It was all about emotion. It was all about, you know, embedding messages in between the notes. You mm. know, they were drenched in heavy emotion, the weight of everything, grief, sadness, joy, yeah. birth, death you know, an ending, a beginning, you know, all of these things. And that evolved over time to give us, you know, swing, jazz. Every genre. Exactly. Hip hop, eventually, R&B, rap, all of it, you know. So um, it makes sense that, first of all, there's a lot of improvisation in jazz Mm -hmm. um, and that it is just so full of feeling and emotion. And that's what I love about it. It's like you you can't listen to jazz without tapping your foot or even like being moved you know every yeah. even simple songs like one of my favorite songs is um change gonna come by otis redding oh yeah i am not i don't even know if what he's singing is true <laughs> but it makes me feel like this is my life story and these are my grievances too. Yeah. like you just feel that as if it's you you know mm-hmm. i love it i heard a quote recently that said music is intrinsically meaningful mm. and I find that so true because I really feel that there's, it's like a language in and of itself. And there, whenever I meet someone that says they don't really listen to music, it's very rare that that happens, but I have had it. And it's so strange to it me, is strange. you know, cause it's like, okay. I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. Do, do you know how to feel? <laughs> uh. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of like music therapy or sound therapy. Oh yeah. And I think that's another thing is just the power of sound mm. and how that resonates with our in our bodies yeah you know certain notes certain sounds certain chords well, yeah and it's just i love how eternal music is mm-hmm. like it's proof of heaven to me yeah because it's it's so unending you mm-hmm. know all the and it really is just vibration and mm-hmm. like captured organized vibration mm-hmm. and it's it's just like so vast, you know, there's yeah. so many different noise making machines. Right. And I, <laughs> I love it. Huh. Yeah. Do you make music at all? Do you play music or sing? I, um, <laughs> so I too grew up playing piano. Okay. I can read sheet music. Nice. Um, I can't just like sit down in front of the piano right now and just play for something from memory. Um, but if you give me a piece of sheet music and then get back to me in like a few weeks, I'll probably have it ready <laughs> yeah. to perform, you know? 
Um, I can carry a note when I'm singing. I did choir growing up. I did musical nice. theater. Um, what I, was your best musical you were ever, or like favorite musical you were ever in? Grease. Oh, wow. Nice. Because we actually had a man who did a lot of work on Broadway come and choreograph us. That's cool. Was the, that the, in San Antonio? Mm-hmm, in high nice. school. Yeah. It mm. was a really special experience. And um, I wouldn't, you know, I'm certainly not trying to make a career out of my singing. But, you know, I like to give concerts in the shower or, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> I like to for sure pull out my skills during karaoke. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I love karaoke. <laughs> yeah. I heard a guy say once it was Japanese for tone deaf. Really? It's not really, but oh it's just a joke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well. He was out, I used to hang out outside of this locals bar in Hawaii, and they did karaoke every night, and I would just go yeah. bum cigarettes from people and <laughs> listen. But that's so fun. Um, nice. Have you, I'm curious... I guess, what would you, like, your passions, Mm -hmm. you're obviously passionate about photography Mm -hmm. and putting image to story. Mm -hmm. What else are you passionate about? I'm also passionate about making people feel seen and acknowledging people's humanity. Mm. And that can manifest in different ways. Um... I really take relationships very seriously. Yeah. My friendships, my work relationships, um, you know, the few, like, romantic relationships I've had, like, that, there's no greater use of one's time than, like, cultivating intentional, interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Um, I was, I've always been an extrovert. I was the person that had talks too much on their report card. (laughs) You know, I love conversation. I love... Um, just sharing experiences with people. Mm -hmm. I'm also incredibly passionate about art. Mm -hmm. I love art. When I lived in London, I could literally, and many times I did, fill an entire day just going from one gallery to another, to another, to another, going to exhibition openings, artist talks, artist events. I love, I live, I love it so much. (laughs) I'll never forget there was one day, it was in the summer of 2018, it was a lovely summer day in London. I literally walked from Oxford Circus to Vauxhall. That is five miles. Oh, wow. Walked. I went to five different galleries, stopped at five different parks, and saw some of the most incredible art. The the art that really sticks with me is interactive pieces. Hmm. Pieces that involve me. Yeah. Are really... Things that move, things that have sound, things that have some sort of visual component, things that you can touch. Yeah, that sort of capture multiple mediums. Yes. I love interactive art, and that's something that I try to put into my own exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and my, my art practice is things that people can interact with and, and feel. Mm. I, oh, gosh. I, I could just... Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, it, I think that's similar to... Music, you know, mm-hmm. like music is undoubtedly a form of art. Oh, yeah. You know, but I also find it interesting how art is so much more broad than our human understanding of it, I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because you can almost make anything an uh, art form. Yeah. You know, by, depending on how you participated in it. Or, or 
I don't know. It just seems like it makes me think of like the Bible verse that says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Yeah. You know, as if you're working for God. Yeah. And I think that that is like this, this idea of beauty, mm-hmm. you know, or creation even like mm-hmm. art is a participation in creation. Yes. You know? Yes. And that I think is so much more vast than right. what we've understood it to be. Yeah. And I get, I, cause I love art as well, but I get really tired of the art world in the, like, I can just, I feel so like inadequate sometimes or not mm. like just in a way of like, I didn't go to college, so I don't know the right words to say or mm-hmm. like why this moves me in this way or right, whatever, right, you right. know, or I just get tired of like the pretentious yeah. art folk. And where, I feel like there's a real movement <clears throat> to do away with that in yeah. every art space. Um, even in San Antonio, I've seen it. You know, there's been uh, there's a collective of people here who do exhibitions and um, events where it's less about trying to sound important yeah. and more about just appreciating appreciating each other's company and appreciating the things that we've created mm-hmm. for whatever reason we created them. Yeah. That's something to, like, in thinking of San Antonio and Austin, because mm-hmm. they're so close and so different, because mm-hmm. I feel that there's tons of beautiful, wonderful art in Austin and amazing culture but something about San Antonio, it seems to capture the down-to-earth mm-hmm. notion better than Austin. Yes. You know, where I feel in Austin, it's more, like, it feels a little more manufactured or done up. And it feels more authentic to me here in San Antonio, just comparing the two art scenes. Yeah. Granted, I haven't spent a lot of time in the Austin art scene, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's wonderful, beautiful people in it. Yeah. But just as, like, in a generalization the two differences that feel sort of quickly tangible are just spending time in San Antonio. And my the very first place I went when I was here and didn't know anybody mm-hmm. was Blue Star. Mm-hmm. And I am friends still to this day with tons of people that I met there, yeah. you know? And yeah. like, it was just so, I was so quickly welcomed in, you right. know? And it didn't feel like there was any judgment or mm-hmm. any kind of like, oh, you don't get it. Right. You know, like it felt very just accepting and understanding. Of, yes. Yeah, we're all just artists. Right. Man. Like, yeah. And what I really appreciate about events like First Friday or Second Saturday is this opportunity to talk with artists yeah. and get into their mind. I, I'm the person that always reads the plaques mm-hmm. and the information panels yeah. next to art because I'm so hungry to know you know, what was in your mind? I want to get yeah, into your head. What led to this? Right. You know, not that I will understand or have to understand it or have to agree, but I just want to know, you know, what motivated you yeah. to create this piece. And when there's an opportunity to actually meet the artist in person, I am like white on rice in that kind <laughs> of situation. I'm like, oh my gosh, hello. <laughs> I have so many questions. Because there's something so special. You know, one of my one of the art collectives that I was part of in London was called Creative Debuts. It was started by these two guys, but I was I talked a lot with one of the co-founders, his name is Callum, and they put on these events, well, pre-pandemic, every week. Mm. Artists would not have to pay to show their work, and people who wanted to come would just pay like a fiver. And then you could even get a drink at the bar. One time they even had free pizza for us. Oh nice. And it was a really accessible 
chill environment to appreciate real artists. I mean, don't get it twisted. These are not people who are just drawing stick figures. You know what I mean? Right. Like these are people who are either in uni for art to get their MFA or BFA, um, or, or people who maybe even didn't go to school for it, but are you know fine artists. And it was the first time I experienced art, not only where the artist is alive, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm not just in some museum looking at something made by someone who died like 200 years ago. Right. But also having that experience of really getting to talk to someone. Like, that was yeah. the first time I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't I don't know what I, w- I never had the opportunity to ask the artist. <laughs> like, what do I want to say to you right yeah. now? Um, and that, again is a part of the experience. You know, not only can I look at this piece, read what you've written about it, but now I can interact with you and even interact with you completely separate from from what you create and just Mm. you as an individual. Yeah. Um, And I think the artist is just as, you know, has... It's just as important as their art. Like, they are, you know... Yeah, there's sort of just an additional layer to the mystery of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that as well. Just getting to meet anybody that's creating stuff, you know. And I think, like, a lot of people seem to sort of separate artists from everyone. Like, there is a special thing that makes a person an artist. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it is a lot more universal than it seems. I mean, I understand people that are, like, professional artists Mm -hmm. getting paid for their art that Mm -hmm. they create. But I feel that no matter who you are, you're creating some type of art, mm-hmm. you know, whether intentional or not, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing something. And maybe that's, that's like part of what separates the artist from non-artists is the intentionality or mm-hmm. realizing of like intentionally adding beauty to whatever you're putting your hands to or doing something as if it were a work of art, you know? So I think, you know... Where, how do I want to say this? I think when we get into a really special, that's not the word. I'm, what am I trying to say here? What's the word I want to use? Specific? No. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'll start with. Let me continue, and then I'll come back to how I want to wrap that up. <laughs> but it basically, I think the real magic in life is that all things that are done in a curatorial, intentional uh, fashion have a ha, are, have an interdisciplinary hmm. aspect to it. There is art and science. There is science and art. Yeah. There is art and medicine. There's art in engineering. Mm-hmm. There's science. There's engineering in art. Yeah. You know, I remember last year I saw this really cool installation. It was called um, In Living Pixels. It was at the Aztec Theater. And one of the artists did a multi-screen installation, but she did all the wiring herself. Mm. Like basically used a bunch of old TVs and did a bunch of wiring to create this projection using a surveillance camera that was pointed at you but then would would put the image on these old TVs and it was so cool and she did all of that herself I'm like you're literally sitting here doing electrical engineering <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like you're doing electrician stuff right now yeah but it's art you know and so the real beauty in life is not siloing ourselves mm. oh I'm a doctor and I'm only a doctor 
Yeah, yeah but there's art in the way that you s- suture. There's right. art in the way that you are so precise with your scalpel. There's art in, in the way that you're so precise with the way you code, mm. writing, you know, coding languages or, you know, designing a, a piece of technology. That's art. Yeah. And science and and physics and engineering. Right. <laughs> and it's all it's. I do think we try we too often narrow things down. Yeah. You know, and it's I think a lot of times it's for simplicity's sake to better understand. Mm hmm. But it does rob things of their wholeness a mm-hmm. lot of times when we, even just with labels a lot of times of trying to say someone is just this one thing, you know, mm-hmm. or, and I, I get being like a master of something, you know, mm-hmm. but even that there's still, I think that's kind of just a testament to the reality of how quickly our minds resort to duality. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be this or that. And we forget like you were saying first hour, just the value of nuance and kind of a gray area and realizing, yeah, there it's really all together. You know, it's not something that we have to separate so intensely or like categorize and Mm -hmm. put in different segments or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's cool. Um, Fruit of the week this week, Mm -hmm. which I don't mention very often, uh, is peace. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, in your own life, how do you practice and cultivate peace? And maybe what are some times that you felt most at peace in your life? I love this question. (laughs) I love peace. I love thinking about peace. I love cultivating peace. I think peace is so crucial um, on the individual level, on the community level. Yeah. On the global level. Um, <clears throat> so I want to make sure. So what was the first question again? How do you practice it? How do I practice And cultivate peace? it, you know, or promote it, I guess, or in your own life and lives of others. I practice peace by first, you know, when I wake up, my goal is that the first thing that my eye sees is the Bible. Mm. I make a, an effort to just snooze my alarm, but don't open my phone. Because if I unlock yeah. that screen, <laughs> it's it's just the rest is history. Yeah. You know, then I'm looking at text messages and emails and who needs me and all this. Uh, yeah. So I try to let the first thing that my eye sees is the word of God because, like, the Lord is my peace. Mm. You know, I um, before. So when I moved back from London, I, I entered a period of my life where I was just really full of anxiety and uncertainty mm. Um, I was in a very tough job situation. I had lost a ton of weight. Like I was just, it was probably the most unhealthy that I've been Mm. maybe in my entire life. Like I just wasn't doing well mentally. And I was, that was when I really began this journey of understanding like, where does my help come from? Mm. It comes from the Lord. Like I had to really get rid of, like shift my focus from all these tertiary things and stop trying to find my identity and my sense of self or my self-actualization and all these outside things because those are volatile. Mm-hmm. The, anything outside of us and outside of Christ, it's volatile. It's It can disappear. It's not stable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no wonder I'm it's so, fleeting. you know, I was so anxious. It's fleeting. Yeah. And starting my day with Christ 
is my first step to cultivating peace in my own life yeah. and in my own self. Um, I'm a huge... I'm huge on communication, not just because I was a con major, <laughs> but I think that communication is really key. One of my favorite verses is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. And so I try to focus on making sure the things that I say speak life and truth mm. and not destruction or division or, or, or certainly condemnation. Not. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. and that's how I try to bring peace or, or, cultivate an environment for peace when I'm interacting with others. Yeah. I love that. And I think it is apparent. Like, I feel that you have a very um, noticeable centered nature, you know, where you seem I'm on top of it in a way, you know, I mean, I think that everybody is kind of trying to figure life out and going through it and it's a struggle to exist Mm -hmm. often, but (laughs) just there's a reality to this, relational faith mm-hmm. that I really, I have, I see it in so many friends and try to cultivate it in my own life where it's like, okay, if this is true, I actually am free to be at peace mm-hmm. always, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm free from worry because mm-hmm. what do I have to fear mm-hmm. if my literal creator loves me, Right. you know, and yeah. in that mindset, I feel it makes it so much easier to operate in life without being just like constantly anxious and overwhelmed because how could you not be in existence? (laughs) You know, like it's super wild to exist in this life that none of us chose, you know, like we're all here by no choice of our own, but it's such a gift if you can learn to adjust your perspective in a way that's Mm -hmm. not constantly fearing and worrying and, you know, comparing on things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been the biggest paradigm shift is realizing that I truly do not have to feel like I'm always living in uncertainty Mm. because I'm not the one who has to figure it out. Yeah. For I know the plans I have for you, says Mm. the Lord, Mm -hmm. not me, not Bria. (laughs) You know what I mean? So as long as I'm focusing on Christ first and like really, you know, I always pray for discernment so that I can discern God's voice. Mm-hmm. above my own and certainly uh, <laughs> above the enemy's voice, you know, yeah. so that I know that if I take, if I, if I take the step and, and live in obedience to what he's calling me to do, then I know that I will be where he needs me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course there's distractions and temptations and, you know, we, totally. it's so easy to get in our own heads about things. Um, but, you know, it, I think once I went from understanding in my mind, mm-hmm. truths about who God is to n- really knowing and believing and having faith for that in my heart yeah. is when it started to change my behavior. Definitely. Yeah. I've heard that referred to as the 18 inch journey because your brain is 18 inches oh, from your heart. Oh, wow. And there's like a whole ministry. Uh, do you know Jonathan David Helser, the worship leader? Mm-mm. He wrote a song called Abba that was a pretty famous worship song for a while. But he and his wife in North Carolina have started this like communal living place. Oh, wow. And it's called the 18-inch journey. And oh, people like wow. 18 to 20-something people will go live there for a few months and yeah. kind of go through their school and stuff like that. And they make like journals and ceramic stuff and record music. And That's so cool. It's really, cool. really cool. But their whole focus is that idea of, right. you know, re- just kind of 
Because that seems to be a big thing in the church too is like there's some churches that just go full in one way, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like dogma and doctrine and knowing it in your mind, right. all the right things to say and traditions. Right. And then other churches that go so far in the heart where it's just like, feel it, you know, right. and forget that there is a, there's a beauty to structure, you right. know, and order. Um, but you really do need both. You have right. to allow that sort of chaos of feeling to marry exactly. the structure of, you know, thinking. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also I, I have to remind myself that I don't always have to reconcile things of the Lord and the heavenly realm with things in the world. Like right. this here on earth is going to die. It's going to perish. So yeah. not everything that God is calling me to do has to make sense on mm, an earthly totally. plane. Yeah. And like freeing myself of always having to look a certain way to other human beings. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who cares? What, like, we're yeah. all just dust. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm not here to live in obedience to, you know, Joe Schmo down yeah. the street. You know what I mean? So I don't want to, like, talk myself or or miss something that God has for me because I was so worried about how it looks mm. or that I don't have all the facts, you yeah. know, because you don't need faith if you're just making moves based on statistics, right. you know? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is learning how to surrender control and our need to understand, mm. you know, because I think mm. so often we get caught up in just having to know, like, why is it this way or this, or that, you know, mm-hmm. or answer the question. And I feel so free mm-hmm. to not need to know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like I'm okay with trusting that it's going to be okay, you know, and that death has been defeated. Right. Like, let me share with wrestling. you one of my favorite symbols that I use to remind myself of that oh, yeah. truth. Every time I look at the moon, ah, I remind myself we can only see just as just like the way we can only see one side of the moon at a time. Mm-hmm. I use that as my reminder that I am not all knowing. Yeah, I cannot see and know and all things and be in all places at once. That's not my job. Totally. You know, so that's my constant reminder of, you know, the fact that I am a finite be- being, mm-hmm. but that I, I know who created the moon yeah. and me and the earth. And like, if I just put my trust and my faith in him, I'll be a lot better off. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so relieving. It is. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, I don't want control. <laughs> right. I can't do it. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I love that reminder, though. Did you see the moon tonight? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. It is. I like whenever I feel the warmth of the sun to imagine it's yes. like God's smile, yeah. you know? Like Because sometimes it does, it, There's in some people's smiles, mm-hmm. it feels like there's a warmth to it, you yeah. know? Or you can, like a tangible softness kind of. Right. And I feel like this crazy ball of fire in the sky is yeah. such a brilliant reminder of our belovedness. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Ah, man. Well, we've been going for about 30 minutes. I want to make sure that people can follow you or follow your work. So yeah. where can anybody find Bria Woods? Yes. So I exist on a couple different corners of the internet. You can find me on Instagram at Bria Woods Photography. And my first name is spelled B-R-I-A. Did M- you ever, real quick, sorry. Yeah. Did you ever read the magazine Brio? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I used to love reading that magazine. <laughs> so funny. I think I still have those somewhere. The boy version was Breakaway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I always thought that was so crazy. How it was just like one letter away from my name. Yeah. Rio. Yep. I used to love reading those. Um so yeah, yes, sorry Instagram. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter. You can follow me at Bria Woods One, and uh, my website is bria-woods.format.com, and that's more of like my online cool. photography portfolio. Because you do, you'll meet up with people and do freelance photography mm-hmm. if they want. Yes, yeah, awesome. different projects. I do project-based work. Um, like I did something with the ACLU earlier this year. Oh, wow. um, and different organizations or nonprofits, but also individuals who mm. have like an event or need headshots or things like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Bria, thank you so much for being my guest. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. This was so yeah. much fun. Awesome.